Well, good morning, church. Paul, in his writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, gave him some important advice that's important for every pastor. He says to be ready to preach the word and to be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Sometimes that in season is planned, and sometimes that out of season is when you're walking from your Sunday school class to the sanctuary. So we love the opportunity to serve our church uh, as a group of leaders. I have seen time and time again the wisdom of having people who are equipped to preach, equipped to lead, ready to step in, next man up sort of mentality. And that's, that's what we have as your elders. We have uh, Pastor Womble, who is preaching at a sister church this morning. Uh, Pastor Josh, as Jacob said, is, is not feeling well, unable to be here this morning. Uh, and we are going to preach God's word because that is what we are gathered here to do. Amen. All right, so we will not be in Nehemiah this morning. We are going to look Matthew chapter 5, specifically verses 38 through 48, and we'll be talking about retaliation and love for enemies. While you're turning there, I want to talk to you just briefly about the providence of God and how God knows lots that we don't, right? The call to worship passage this morning that we read was my Sunday school lesson. That was planned months ago based on my scheduling out of my Sunday school, which has nothing to do with our sermon series that we are working on. But as God has knowledge about all things, we have a passage that not only goes with the passage we'll be looking at in Matthew, it his great also be my Sunday school lesson that I taught just a, a few minutes ago. So we well, thank God for his grace and mercy in that. All right, so let's look at chapter 5 in Matthew uh, 38 as we begin to think this morning about retaliation and love for our enemies. Scripture says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in on the right heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even as pals do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for your teaching from Jesus Christ here in the Sermon on the Mount. And Lord God, we pray this morning as we study this that we would with a new appreciation, Lord, for what it means to, to be perfect as you are perfect. What it means to, to truly love our neighbors 
and to live as you would have us to live. Be with us now as we study. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Several weeks ago, my family was after dark driving home uh, in the evening. Uh, it was before the time change, so it was just after dark. And uh, we were all in the car uh, coming down Gene Snyder out here by uh, New Cut Road. Uh, so almost home, we, we, uh, we get off at the Stone Street exit. So we're cruising along, just talking, doing normal family in the car stuff. And as we're in the fast driving, we're in a line of three in the slow lane. And there are some cars that are passing us in the fast lane. Normal standard fare for 7.30 or so in the evening, driving home. When I noticed in my side view mirror, again, I'm in the slow lane, that there is a car to my right that is coming extremely fast up the ramp, and there was no way this car was going to be able to get over and then get over again without hitting someone because of how fast this truck was going. Well, the truck didn't bother getting over. The truck stayed in the on-ramp and then drove straight into the emergency lane, passing us at an extremely high rate of speed. And as this truck began to go past us in the emergency lane, as you can imagine, most people who are thinking are like hitting the brakes and wondering, please don't hit us, right? So we all began to hit our brakes as this truck plowed through debris and whatever else was in the, the slow lane, and a large rock about the size of a baseball came flying up and smashed the windshield right in front of where my wife was sitting on the passenger side of the vehicle. It sounded like a gun going off almost, and I kind of jerked the wheel and hit the brakes even harder, and we all were glad that there was no accident, glad that no one was hurt, but this guy passed all those cars that were in front of me, whipped over into the fast lane, and was gone. Now, in like three seconds, there's all these thoughts that begin to run through my head, and I'm sure your head, if you've ever had something like this happen to you. Your first thought is, speed up, get the fast lane, chase them down right? You're, that's, that's where our minds go. I need to at least get his license plate number. I need to do something, right? But as you think about that, there's reasons why you may not go there. And so we begin to actually discuss this out loud in the car as we're driving home. What benefit is there for me to take my family of seven on a high-speed chase down Gene Snyder Chasing down someone who obviously does not care for my safety or the other safety of the people in my car or anyone else around us. Potentially endangering all of our lives. And then what do I do when I catch them? What do I do when we get to Dixie Highway, let's say, if they get off of Dixie Highway and I slam it in park and I run up there and I smash his windshield? And he gets out of the car and he's a large fellow. <laughs> right? So what, what, what sort of things kind of play out after that, right? Where does that retaliation lead me? Well, I'm going to say that it leads me to a whole lot of bad places for me personally, potentially arrested, potentially beat up in front of my children, uh, potentially our day and age, maybe shot, stabbed, or just arrested for vandalizing someone else's property. So we actually had that conversation in the car. And so we drove home, I called Safe Flight the next day. They sent someone out to repair or replace. Safe Flight repair, Safe Flight replace. They fixed the windshield, right? Fixed the windshield. Now, I was not happy about that, right? But I did not go into the retaliation. 
Now, I'm sharing this with you because it's a positive story, right, of how I did what I was supposed to do. But as you're sitting there thinking, you may have had times where you did the right thing, and there may be times where you did the wrong thing as well, right? In today's passage, in today's passage, we have two teachings from Christ. These are actually two separate things that Christ is addressing here. He is addressing this idea of going the second mile or an eye for an eye or retaliation, okay? That's at the root of, of what Christ is talking about, the retaliation for when we have been done wrong. And he gives us a teaching that goes deeper. And so before we go into the deeper and what it means to not retaliate, it is not just not retaliating, it is the heart of it, right? It is also teaching us how to love our enemies. These two go together, right? And so before we get into this, I want us to back up and I want to show us something that Christ started before he got to this particular section of Scripture. Because if we look at the Sermon on the Mount, this is the ending of like the first third, okay? And I, I like to make this joke. When we, we love to preach expositorily. We love to go verse by verse. But if you were to sit down and read this, it would take you 20, 25 minutes. Today, we're going to talk about just two teachings from one-third of the scripture, and it's going to take us twice as long as it would take you to read the whole thing twice, right? And that's perfectly fine because when Jesus talks, Jesus gives us tons to think about. He is laying on the truth, and so we're going to talk about that today. Let's, let's begin by looking back just a little bit as he is going through in chapter 5 to chapter 5, verse 17, and we're going to see that Jesus is setting something up as he is going to start teaching not only things that are um, eternal, right? But he's also addressing things that are temporal, right? He's addressing big theological things and he is addressing applicational things. And we need to see both, okay? So look back, ch chapter five, verse 17. He begins and he says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill so prior to Jesus getting into these teachings that he is going to give, he sets up first and foremost to let us know that he did not come to abolish the law of the prophets, he came to fulfill them. The second thing, if we look in verse 18, is that for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the stroke of one letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Now, all things are going to be accomplished Certainly, a good portion of all things were accomplished at the cross, right? We are set free from the law and living under the law because of Christ on the cross. But all things ultimately are going to be brought to fruition at the return of Christ. Okay, so while we are set free from the requirements of living under the law, we now live in love, in love of Jesus because of Christ's death on the cross. We ultimately are looking forward again to Christ's coming when all things will be made right. And all of these things that he is going to teach are going to be the way things are, not the way that they should be. He's going to bring them to completion. Thirdly, uh, he, he teaches us something very important because many times I think that we might be, we might be under the fault that is not that we can live righteously. And he wants us to know that that is not the case. Continuing in verse 19, he says, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Notice that he's saying that we're not to just 
teach these things, that we are to do these things. And verse 20, it brings this home. It says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. How many of us today would venture to say that we live more holy or more in line with the law than scribes or Pharisees? Hopefully none of us. We'd be lying to ourselves and lying to others if we thought that we could live according to the law as well as the scribes or Pharisees. And it's important to note that he's not holding up the scribes or Pharisees to say that we should try to emulate them because they're not perfect. They're people. You guys hopefully know that you should not try to emulate your pastors. We are not perfect. You are hopefully doing this. You are hopefully following us while we are following Christ. And if we ever make a mistake, hopefully you recognize that we are people. Hopefully you will be gracious and loving to us in our failure. And hopefully you will not cease to follow Christ because we've made a mistake. Because I guarantee you, you follow me around, I will make mistakes. I will repent of them prayerfully. And I will get back to following my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you should do the same. You should not follow a pastor. We follow our Savior pastors point us to the Savior. All right. So Jesus lays this down. This is the background. This is the understanding for the teachings that are to follow. If you were to spend five minutes or so, you could read this section, and it talks, Jesus begins to talk about murder. He talks about adultery. He talks about divorce. He talks about taking of oaths or making of, uh, of contracts and promises. And then retaliation, and love for our enemies. Each time, Jesus is not only saying what has been said, what the law says, because remember, he came to fulfill the law. He did not come to abolish the law. He came to live and do it perfectly, but he is gonna give you the intent of the law. He is gonna give you the higher level meaning of the law. And as we look, Jesus says time and time again, you have heard it said, and he repeats the law. And then what does he say? But I tell you. He says this, but who does that? Who is able to say, you have heard God's word says this, but I say this. If anyone does that today, it's called heresy. It's called blasphemy, right? If I were to stand here and say, well, God's word says this, but everybody, look, I want you to know this is what I say. Hopefully you guys would be walking out, right? Because that's not... That is not what we are to do. The only person who ever can do that is God himself because it is his word. And if he is explaining his word and he is telling them, I have said this, but this is what it really means and this is how it is applied, it is right, it is proper only because Jesus Christ is God. That is the only reason that Jesus Christ can confidently say, this is what I say because he is God. Scripture also gives us the example where people are like, Jesus is not like anyone else. He teaches as one with authority, right? When we see that, we should say amen because he is God. And when he is teaching you something, he is teaching you something that has the same weight and authority as the word of God because he is God. If you remember from John, John talks about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. That word is Jesus Christ. The reason why Jesus can explain the word is because he is the word, right? All right, 
So let's get to our, our passages today with this as the background and this is the understanding. Jesus is going to give them some additional application from, from these two Old Testament uh, laws. Now, you might wonder, where does an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth come from? Well, in the, 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 the law in the Old Testament, there was a, a law that said that if I struck someone and I knocked their tooth out, right, the restitution would be that I offer up something of equal value, right? So if I strike someone and I, and I hurt them, then a tooth for a tooth is talking about not necessarily that someone would have to hit me in the face to take a tooth, but we're providing equal value, restitution for what has been done wrong. And there's, there's multiple places in the Old Testament in, in the law where it talks about this restitution for hitting someone and damaging their property or damaging uh, them or hurting them. And, and, and so this is something that they, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And it's, I think it's something that we today have this sense of, right? The example that I gave earlier about driving down the road, all of those thoughts in my head were about restitution. He should have to pay to fix my windshield, right? I need to retaliate in order to feel like we're even, like we're square. I, so I want to feel justified, right? But is that what Christ says? Let's look back again at our, our focal passage. He said, you have heard this, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. And as we look at that resist word, sometimes you're like, oh, are we supposed to just stand and take it? Potentially, but it's also speaking to that retaliation or that re retaliation mentality that we have. But he says, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if they slap you on your right cheek, turn to them the other also. One of the commentators that I love to read has a funny story about this. He said there was a, a young gentleman one time who was out and he got into an argument with someone in a restaurant and the guy struck him and knocked him down. And he stood up and he turned his face. And the guy punched him on the other side and knocked him right down. Well, he gets back up and he proceeds to beat the snot out of this guy. And on the way out of the restaurant, his friend's like, man, why in the world did you turn your face? He said, well, the Lord tells us to turn the cheek, but he didn't say anything about what to do after that. <laughs> that is not the right way that we are to do that, right? That is not how we are to conduct ourselves. The, the idea here is we are not to seek the retaliation. We are not to seek it, as, as we have seen Christ teaching, we are not to even have those thoughts and dwell on those thoughts in our hearts. Because if we begin to dwell on those thoughts of retaliation or plan on the retaliation, we are to understand that those are sins in the heart, right? So it's not just about did I physically do it, it's about am I plotting and am I planning and am I dwelling on it, am I thinking about it? That's where the teaching of Christ raises the bar. And the whole point of this, the whole point of this section is going to be brought home in just a minute when we get to verse 48, right? We're to be thinking about how are we to respond to this teaching? What, what am I supposed to do with what, what Christ has said? How am I actually supposed to be able to live this out? That is what should be in the center of our minds as we're thinking about this teaching. So as he goes on, it says, if he wants to sue you and take away your shirt, give them your coat as well. If they want to force you to go a mile, go two. 
Give to the one who asks you and don't turn from the one who wants to borrow from you. What we're seeing is doing unto others. Many times the things that happen to us in life are not done intentionally, right? Many times people may offend you, they may slight you, they may mistreat you for whatever reason, and it may not be intentional. If it's unintentional, how would we want someone to respond to us when we make a mistake? I want grace, I want mercy, I want forgiveness. I want someone to love me in spite of my sinfulness, right? Well, let me ask you a question. What is the ultimate example of that? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Each and every single one of us, whether we realize it or not, has sinned directly against God. We are directly responsible for Jesus Christ's beating and crucifixion. We are responsible because we are sinners. Christ died for those sins. He paid the penalty for that. We are the ones who should have received that punishment. But yet, what did he do? Like a lamb led to slaughter, Christ went to the cross and died in our place. He's not asking us to do anything that he has not already done. He is asking you to do what he has already done. He is asking you to follow him in the living of your life in a pattern that he has set for us. Christ was struck on the face. Christ did not retaliate. Christ was lied about. He did not see fit to have to defend himself. He is telling us to follow him and the example that he has set. As we get to 43 and we start to begin to, to look at enemies, I would say that the people oftentimes in that first section are not just people that we're going the second mile with or people that we're seeking to retaliate. These, these are people who fall into this category, which would potentially be enemies. Verse 43 says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. How difficult is that, right? When you have someone who you, maybe we don't call them enemies anymore, maybe it's a frenemy, I don't, I don't know, sometimes we put those together and it's a friend that you despise, I don't know how that works, um, but it's someone who as, is at odds with you on the regular basis. And oftentimes these people are our neighbors, right? Just yesterday, uh, I was out working on a car in, in the garage, and my kid said, Dad, there's somebody down in the creek. If you guys have ever been past my mom and dad's house on the way to uh, the scenic trail, people forget they forget all the time that those big signs that say posted private property, when I think they see that, it says, welcome to Jefferson Memorial Forest. And so on a regular basis, we'll have people who will pull over. They will go down in the creek to take rocks. They take five-gallon buckets and fill them up with geodes, right? They'll go down there and they'll sane for crawdads and, and minnows and stuff to go fishing with. They'll go look for ginseng. They'll just go have a picnic. It's private property, but hey, you know, what's that mean? So I try to be nice and gracious. My wife helps me with that. She always gives me the last instructions are be careful and be nice. 
So I will go and I will say, hey, how you doing? Didn't know if you guys were aware, this is, this is not part of the forest, it's private property. Most people are, are pretty, pretty kind and gracious, but I have encountered some people who were not very nice about the whole thing, uh, even though their car was parked and then the posted sign is directly behind it. I don't consider those people my enemies. And I always ask, did you get permission? Because I, I don't want to you know, run someone off who's asked for permission to be down there. But, but these people are taking advantage of us. And oftentimes they, they are our neighbors, right? How do we respond in those situations? How can we, as believers, do what Christ is telling us to do? Well, first and foremost, we need to be in prayer, Right? We need to pray, God, help me handle this situation appropriately. Help me show the love of Christ to this person. Help me not to ruin my witness by responding in a wrong manner. It is a great challenge, ladies and gentlemen, to carry forth the cause of Christ because we're sinful. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be in the word of God so that we respond in the right way, so that we respond in love so that we respond in kindness, even when we are being mistreated. Our ministry apprenticeship program that we're doing here has recently read a book called The Five English Reformers. And The Five English Reformers is a book that, that details men who were killed for the cause of Christ during the reign of Mary, Queen of Scots, or Bloody Mary in England. These men were men who preached the gospel. They held high the truths of God's word, and they taught scripture correctly. And they were bound to stakes and burned alive for their beliefs. Did they lash out? No. They went to the stake many times in prayer for those who were killing them. And understanding and, and knowing about these things and reading these things, we see people who are following after what Christ did. They are setting the ultimate example for people that we can follow Christ to the cross. We can lay down our lives as Christ laid down his life for us in following him. He has told us in Scripture to pick up your cross and follow him daily. Scripture tells us that. What does that look like for you? Well, hopefully it's not going to lead you to the actual cross or to a stake where you're going to be burned, but it doesn't mean that you're being called to a life of comfort. In our time here that we're living, we see pastors being put in prison for doing nothing more than reading Scripture. I've talked about this previously during pastoral prayer. This has been some time ago, but they're in Canada and in Great Britain, there are pastors that have been put in prison for disobeying assembly orders, and they're really doing nothing more than reading scripture and preaching to their church, some cases in the parking lot of their church because they were not allowed to, to be in the physical building. But because of government restrictions, they disobeyed and they preached the word of God. And we should say praise God to that, but they also had to know that there was going to be repercussions. There was going to be a punishment. And while we, in general, don't have that level of persecution here today in the United States, friends, I don't know that it's too far away. 
with all of the changes that have gone on in our country socially, with all of the changes that have, have taken place with, with our laws and protecting the rights of others while putting a great burden on believers, there may be a day and time where we see people arrested for silently praying outside of an abortion center. That happened in Great Britain just a few weeks ago. A lady was standing, praying quietly, and she was arrested for praying. We should not be surprised when persecution comes upon us. If we are following Christ, we will be persecuted. He told us that himself. We should be prepared. We are prepared by following Christ's teaching, by being completely covered in the word, and by understanding the cost of following Christ. There is a great reward, but there is also a cost. So as Christ gives us this teaching, again, as I said earlier, remember that Christ is not asking us to do anything that he has not already done. Loving his enemies. When Christ was on the cross, he was praying for the people that put him on the cross. The English reformers, many of them were praying for the people who were chaining them up and sentencing them to die. That is the example that Christ set. That is the example that the reformers followed. And friends, that is the example that we must follow as well. Verse 45. Why are we doing these things? Why is it? So that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And notice, as children of our Father in heaven... He will care for us as his children. He will sustain us. He will provide for us. He has prepared a place for us. But it does not mean that we will not go through persecution and difficulties because he did not remove that from his own son, Jesus Christ. Scripture continues saying, For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That is the unmerited favor of God, right? That he loves his creation. For if you will, or for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Notice that it's easy for us to love, and, and this is what Christ is getting at here, it's easy for us to love people who are just like us, right? There's no kids I love like my kids, right? Because my kids are perfect. They never do anything wrong. No, that's not true. But we do. We do have a sense that we love those who love us. We, we love and we will forgive our friends and family because we love them. We'll, we'll, love covers a multitude of sins, right? So what Scripture says. And we see that in, at work in our lives. We see it at work every day as we continue to be okay with the fact that we have a son that chews with his mouth open at breakfast. Right? We show mercy we show love. We put our earbuds in. We're supposed to do that for all people, right? We're supposed to show that same sort of love for everyone, not just people, members of Fairdale, right? Not just members of your family. You're supposed to show that same love to others. And in showing that same love to others, what are we doing? We're showing them the love of God. We're showing them the love of Christ. We're showing them that there is something different because that is not a natural reaction for people, Retaliation is the natural reaction. Only loving those who love us is the natural reaction. 
Christ is telling us he wants a supernatural reaction, and that reaction is a display of the love that God has given us for others. And he gives us the example of the tax collector. The tax collectors were, generally speaking in Scripture, some of the most hated people, right? And he's like, what are you doing if you, if you only love those who love you? You need to realize that the tax collectors do the same. And if you only greet and are nice to people who are your brothers and sisters, you're not doing anything out of the ordinary. Even Gentiles, those who do not know the law, are doing the same. And we get to this final verse, and I'm going to say that this final verse is the capstone starting from verse 17 and following. This is the verse that should help you understand that there is no way that you can do the things that Christ has asked you to do. Because what is he asking us to do as we get to this verse? He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Who, who can do that? If you were sitting there today... You know, if, if this was happening today and Christ is saying, be perfect, do not sin in anything, in thought or in deed. Follow every single law, not just the letter of the law, but the intent of the law. How would we respond? I'm going to tell you that I would leave sad. Because I would recognize that what I have been asked to do, I cannot do. What Christ is teaching and Christ is telling them is beyond possible for man, and he knows it. That is the whole purpose of the law, is to teach us that we need a savior. We need God to act on our behalf. We need someone who can obey the law perfectly. We need someone who can do the letter and the intent, someone who can never make a mistake, someone who can love the enemy, someone who can turn the other cheek, someone who cannot falter in the thoughts of their mind or the intentions of their heart. We need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ. And that is what's being illustrated for us here. It's showing us that you can't do what I'm telling you needs to be done, but I'm going to do it for you. And I'm not going to do it for any other purpose than I love you, and I want you to be forgiven of your sins. I want you to be released from the requirements of the law. I want you to be part of my family. I want you to be my brother and sister. Repent of your sins and believe. Leave behind the sins and find freedom in following Jesus Christ. That is the message that Christ is delivering here in the Sermon on the Mount. That is the message that we are preaching every single Sunday, every single Wednesday, every time that we are opening the, the, the book and, uh, uh, and we're preaching that or teaching. That is what we're saying. Leave your sin. Flee from your sin. Run to the cross. Believe upon Jesus Christ. Receive forgiveness and begin to let him change your life, change your heart, change the way that you interact everyone around you, your neighbors. Change how you respond in situations where you might be thinking retaliate first. Be transformed. Be renewed. And ultimately, be perfect. Not because you're going to follow perfectly, but because the one you have believed in did. Friends, as we close today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, know that he is ready, willing, and able 
to save to the uttermost. He can forgive you of your sins. He has done all that is already necessary. He is asking you to believe upon him, repent of your sin, and let him be your righteousness. Let him be perfect for you. Let's pray as we prepare to close. Lord God, we thank you again for this day. Lord, we thank you for the teachings of Jesus Christ. Lord God, we pray that you would help us, Lord, who know you, Lord, to follow, to follow hard after Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to love you most and foremost, Lord, but, and then to love others. And God, for those who do not know you, Lord, we pray that, that they, would, they would hear a message like this, Lord, that they would hear that you have been the perfection for them, that all of their shortcomings, Lord, have been taken care of by Jesus Christ on the cross, Lord. And we pray that they would repent, that they would turn to Christ, Lord, and they would receive that forgiveness. Be with us now, Lord. We love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.